and welcome to Elixir Talk, probably the only podcast that puts as little time as possible into recording technologies, and yet somehow we manage to come out with episodes most of the time. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm joined by Chris Bell. Hello, Desmond. It's a day of technical issues. Not the most inspirational intro, is it? No, definitely not. Uh, how, how's it going? Well, you know, life's always kind of messy, isn't it? Uh, what we see <laughs> is the, the nice finished compressed and edited uh product with the intro and outro music but uh behind the scenes life is uh, filled with technical difficulties that's an inspirational uh, instagram post if i ever heard one you know but uh as for me i'm back in la after a week in new york which was a lot of fun uh it's good to be here it's always good to be here but it's good to be back and uh digging into work and hanging out yeah having a good tuesday uh, pretty good Tuesday. Um, yeah, so far so good. Um, I'm trying to think if anything is. No, digging into I got nothing, code. Man. Digging into code. Yeah, I've been writing a lot of code. It's been fun. You know, it's like so. I'm the CTO of this company, but um, there's only three people at the company, and there's this other engineer on my team, and like we're both in the phase of just writing code. And in my last job, I was really just managing, and it's kind of nice to have the cadence of like going back and forth between managing people and then writing code for a bit and then eventually as our team grows then i will stop writing code i'm literally in the same boat and i am already looking forward to when i don't have to code (laughs) which is weird i like i was so looking forward to it and i've been doing it and now i'm like oh i'm done i want to hire people someone else do this you know (laughs) do you look forward to managing or do you just not want to write code no I, i look forward to managing i feel like i'm like using like 50% 50% of my skill set right now. So mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of excited about the day where I can actually uh, like go back to adding value in other ways as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm also, I am very much enjoying the process of writing Elixir day to day again. It's been a real pleasure doing that. Um, but yes, I am also excited about the prospect of growing the company and hiring and growing with a company. So I'm guessing you're kind of in the same boat. Uh, that's the, I mean, that's the goal, right? Yes, exactly. If we're not doing that, what are we doing? Have the company grow and do well? Yeah, definitely. And keep an elixir in, right? (laughs) Yes, through all of it, keeping elixir in. So, what have we got lined up today? Well, we have a very special guest on the episode, uh, someone who needs no introduction, but I will introduce him anyway. He is a, uh, engineer at Dockyard. He's probably a senior engineer at Dockyard. It's creator of a little thing called the uh, Phoenix Framework, which you may have heard of. Please welcome to the show, Chris McCord. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, hey Chris. Dude. It's good to have you back. It's been a while. so uh, It was like March, and, I think, I was on. Yeah, and we had that. We had an exciting time where LiveView was just announced, and we managed to like somehow secure you onto the podcast the next day or something, so that was very cool. Well, it wasn't just announced, it was just released. Oh, that's I right, think. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Sounds right. Cool. Yeah, well, it's great cool. to have you back. Yeah, excited to be here. It's been a crazy year. Uh, one year of Live View. So, um, I mean, I, get, I think that's what most people are interested in. It's certainly one of the hot topics around the, uh, I'll say, the Phoenix community. So, you chatted a little bit, you chatted a little bit about this at ElixirConf, but I want to ask you again, like, what's the what's the last year been like as the journey of LiveView? Yeah, so it's crazy that it's been a year for me already. Um, so I don't know what happened to this past year, but 
the journey has the, the the journey this of the past year has been like what I showed off at ElixirConf last year was uh, a prototype that had had immediate value and showed promise, but the simplest way I can put it, it was it was definitely a worse is better approach um, in all ways. And through the past year, um, Jose and I and the core team is has improve things to the point that we are better than single page apps in certain cases. So I think, you know, the promise, the programming model, what we showed last year uh, was compelling. It had value in some cases, but it was kind of like, you know, it had all these caveats. And a year later, I think it demonstrably can be better in certain cases. It still has caveats, uh, obviously, that we've talked about before. We can get into that. Um, but the last year has really been making it a an extremely compelling option more so than just you don't have to write JavaScript, like extremely compelling just from on its merits alone, as far as like our optimizations and the kinds of um, latencies and experiences you can get. Uh, can, can you dig in a little bit to some of those optimizations and what the, the process has been like getting it to where it is today? Yeah, so a year ago, I said like it was a worse is better approach because I was essentially, you know, if we, if we think about react as kind of or sorry we think about live view as kind of like react on the server mm -hmm. um every time any data change we re-render re our templates um but what we did last year at Alexa comp was we re-rendered the entire template so we would send over the wire all the markup for that entire template on any tiny change and we would evaluate all the elixir code that was necessary to render that template on any tiny change so it was extremely expensive on the wire and on the server. And then over the last year, we've added uh, change tracking. So we've been able to only execute the Elixir code that's necessary to be executed uh, based on what data has changed on the server. And then what we put on the wire is a minimal data necessary to actually update the um, DOM in the browser. So really the optimizations have been all around our change tracking. And the, the cool thing with that is the end user land code has uh, looks identical to what it looked like a year ago, but now we're able to get, um, in some cases, better uh, payload optimizations than the best handwritten uh, single-page app JSON payload you could write by hand. I guess if uh, for all those listeners who may have been under a rock for the last year, can you explain how Live Views works and therefore how you get that kind of optimization as well? Yeah, so I, I mentioned Live View is kind of like this idea of uh, like the React style on the server. So we have uh, templates and they're stateful and if you change a piece of data for that template we'll automatically call render which renders your template and we kind of have this small little uh requirement that we just send the updates over the network instead of running the code locally but it's a very similar programming model if you just kind of treat the network as a as a some minor detail uh so along those lines um what we're able to do with our change tracking is we take your template and we, compi we compile it to anywhere, if, if you're used to using EEX templates, anywhere we see an EEX expression, we will, uh, at compile time, kind of wrap that in a an if condition, essentially. So we can say only if, uh, so all your Elixir code execution becomes an if check, which is essentially free. Uh, so we won't, we won't even run the Elixir code for a piece of data if it didn't change. So we optimize on the server as far as your execution time. And then the data that we write on the wire is uh, a tiny payload because we take a look at your template and we split the static and dynamic parts out at compile time. So if you imagine an HTML template, a lot of that is just static markup. 
that we know never changes. Like uh, empirically, if you have a div tag with a class, we know that's never going to change. So we'll just go through and split a template up into its static parts. And then any EEX portions are your dynamic parts. And that's how we're able to make the client aware of this um, efficient operation. Because if we know that the value somewhere in this div changed, we can just send over the wire at this dynamic index, please update this value. So we kind of get like a, it's kind of like virtual DOM on the server, except we are even more efficient than virtual DOM because we're not sending DOM, right? We don't, we're not sending HTML over ever after the first uh, payload that gets sent down. It's only after the dynamic values. That makes sense. It's pretty interesting too. If you open up your inspector in the browser and you see what's coming over the wire, when you talk about sending over static bits of your HTML and then which sections are dynamic, it's kind of interesting to see like, oh, you really just chop up the string. It could be in the middle of a tag or something if you're using live view like inside of a, a class name for a div or, or whatever. Uh, the static piece looks like incomplete HTML and then the dynamic part is held in a separate attribute and it's literally stitched together. I don't like using that word literally. And it is stitched back together uh, on the client. And it's it's kind of fun to see how that is broken out into um, the pieces that change and the pieces that don't change. Yeah, and we're not HTML aware at all at the live EX engine level, which I think surprises most people because, yeah, as you said, Desmond, it's just uh, whatever static is static and then whatever you're putting between those static parts is your Elixir code. And it it's, it's seemingly like the, the data that gets put on the wire, it seems like, wow, they have to know about the HTML structure, but we actually have no idea. So if you put if you put a CSS uh, style tag in your live view and you did some dynamic CSS, like that would just work. And we don't know about CSS either. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a year. You've put this thing out. You've done a lot of optimizations on it. Can you talk about um, some of the examples that you've seen recently in the wild where uh, like that have kind of blown your mind, I guess, in some ways? Yeah, so the, uh, the games have been the craziest stuff because I hadn't thought about it. I mean, when I put, I put the Snake game together months ago as like, wouldn't it be cool if we could use this for a game? It's kind of like a, a fun little thing. And so maybe part of that's my fault, but uh, people have been doing uh, crazy things with games. And, like, and they've actually been like compelling. Like mm -hmm. my favorite one has been this like hippo game where um, someone designed the, the, the game art and then like there was like nice CSS animations as you scored points. And it actually looked like a very well-polished game and they've deployed it to Gigalixir and you could play it and you would never think that, oh, this is server rendered. You know, it was just like a 2D game that you're moving around on. So obviously there's some limits, um, but the, the games have been, have been the coolest. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's like, that's not my target um, market per se, but I think that it's it's neat to see what people are able to accomplish within the programming model. So um, as far as more practical stuff that we've seen, I mean, a lot a lot of your typical boring business problems are extremely well suited to live view. And I think, you know, what a lot of us are ultimately building. But uh, we, we saw a cool talk at ElixirConf. It was a lightning talk about um, live view and healthcare. So they were they built kind of this multi-step um, dynamic form for um, patient outcomes. So after surgery, you would go through and fill out this uh, pain level and it would monitor patient outcomes. And um, they were talking about how well uh, LiveView was working for them. So I think 
kind of the the more for me i mean the games are really exciting and i live vicariously through my twitter feed for live view by seeing kind of what crazy things people are doing but but the truly exciting things for me are kind of the the more boring business problems that people are able to come in and instead of picking up uh you know reactor angular or ember they're able to actually put together a product in front of users and say how much faster and simpler it's been I want to uh, call something out there because um, on a recent episode, uh, Chris Bell and I got into a spirited discussion about LiveView uh, and JavaScript, and Chris made the argument that are we just like uh, are we being curmudgeons basically by doing all this work to avoid using this other language, and uh, not to rehash that argument too much here or put words in Chris's mouth, but I felt for a long time that one of the big benefits is that it's it's a lot less code to write to do the same stuff. I mean, sure, you can do it in another language. I've seen admin dashboards written in React. I think it's a lot of work and it takes a long time to build basic features. Like, here's a new table, here's sorting, here's pagination, uh, here's an autocomplete, like um, common things that you see in a lot of these tools of course, can be done in any way, but are much simpler with this framework. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think that's that's the point that I want to resonate versus, I mean, the, the, the point of not having to write JavaScript has really, really resonated. Uh, so I definitely see Chris's concern. I, I've been trying, I've been uh, very careful or try to be very careful with how I've framed LiveView. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can understand that, that concern. Um, but I think for me, it's not, if it was just, it's not, it can't, it has to be more than, oh, you don't have to write JavaScript. I mean, I think if it was just write Elixir instead of JavaScript, then it wouldn't be a compelling option. Uh, but for me, it's like the amount of uh, complexity that falls away if you are building something with Live View is, uh, I, I say it feels like cheating because imagine you have uh, even, even a, let's say a form. Former is a great example. Uh, you know these boring business problems. If you if you wrote that in a client side app, you'd have to set up you know the client side templating language. You'd have some kind of server rendered HTML, maybe for just the shell. You have to figure out what the payloads look like. You have to figure out are you using JSON API or using GraphQL. You have to set those files up, determine what to name those files, figure out how to encode your data to the client. You know the kind of attributes you want to expose and not expose. How do you encode that? Is it over over the wire on JSON and how do you get writes back up? So you have like all these decisions and in live view, you literally just render an EX template. So you write like kind of the most crud standard HTML that you're used to writing yet. Suddenly that becomes interactive and you don't, all these decisions fall away. So for me, that's the, that's the compelling use case. It's not necessarily just, you don't have to write JavaScript. It's just, we can avoid all the complexity and that complexity since we're writing browser applications ends up being on the client that's running a JavaScript runtime. So I think it's it's got to be more than just you don't have to write JavaScript, or at least I think it resonates with people because they buy into that complexity necessarily to accomplish their business needs. Uh, so this is an alternative, but I definitely see the the concern that Chris has, and we've been we've been trying to be very careful with how we frame it because um, because there's, there's nothing wrong with writing JavaScript applications, and ultimately lots of use cases weren't writing code on the client. So so there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I I, I think that was. Uh... A complaint that I had heard from someone in our community was that, and they'd come from a JavaScript background, and it felt like there was this, like, I I think people felt concerned that there was this kind of 
dislike of a language and that's quite it can be off-putting right if you're if you're new to a community and you hear everyone around being like well actually javascript's kind of rubbish why are you writing that you should be writing it in elixir and i think i think we do need to be a bit careful about how we frame it and obviously chris i think your point is spot on it's like there's much more than just not writing javascript right we have to have an actually compelling reason why this thing is actually superior or we believe is superior than writing some of the the very like complex stateful client side applications that we're writing today, and it has to be more than just I don't like the language, right? Right, and there's I mean people have been have been burned by JavaScript, so I think a lot of it comes from. So I think there there definitely can be a negative side where you don't want to put down the technology choices of other people, uh, especially that's where they they derive their you know, professional fulfillment and income and, and everything. Um, and they're happy doing it. So I think, but I do think that JavaScript solutions do come with their own pain in a lot of mm. cases. I mean, if I just, my own personal experience working uh, at multiple consultancies, like, you know, every client side app that didn't need to be a client side app ended up being way more uh, complex, um, you know, way more expensive for the client, way more expensive for the developer to implement. Uh, so I do think that there is this, there is one side of it that people have experienced a pain and whether or not that is the fault of JavaScript or not, I do think people are coming, some of these potentially negative criticisms are coming from a place of people having experienced this pain. So I think mm-hmm. for us, when we evaluate, when we pitch LiveView as an alternative, I think it's because it's the level of complexity. I'll, I'll go back to that. Like if you imagine client-side validations today, like people adopt client-side JavaScript solutions because they have business problems to solve. And that is a high cost today. I think even if you're a seasoned uh, professional and you've done it 10 10 to 100 times before, it's a high cost, right? You have to set up all the build tools. You then have to adopt everything we just talked about with figuring out encodings and payloads and client-side logic and the server-side logic. So for us, we're offering an alternative from that where a lot of that falls away like let's say 90 percent if i had to put a stake on it for client-side validations or i I showed off uh infinite scrolling uh at the at the conference and that was it did require some javascript but it was like 13 lines of javascript so imagine doing that uh buying that or buying that that complexity uh, off your your client says hey let's add infinite scroll and you're like okay i'm gonna put react on this and then suddenly you go down the rabbit hole of however many weeks to figure out, okay, now we need to get uh, internationalization down and then go through all that data encoding. But for us, you write 13 lines of JavaScript, some Elixir code that you're used to writing, and you continue shipping features. So you also mentioned uh, better integration with JavaScript in case you do need to pull out the escape hatch. Yeah, we announced, uh, we just call them JavaScript hooks. So it's just like a PHX hook annotation because uh, you do need to write JavaScript sometimes, especially for um, like controlled inputs, anything that demands zero latency where the user's interacting with the uh, UI and you have to write code to react to that. So yeah, we have just a PHX hook annotation that gives you a few callbacks, um, lifecycle callbacks for that DOM element. So actually someone, uh, I, this isn't a use case I intended, but someone uh, has an Angular app that they are rewriting in uh, with LiveView and the team actually is still like driving the Angular app through the Phoenix hook, LiveView hooks. 
Hmm. So people are using client-side frameworks with LiveView, which is really <laughs> interesting. But um, yeah, it's the escape hatch to do whatever you need. So it's, it's extremely basic. Um, so our goal is not to build a JavaScript framework because we have failed if we just say, oh, use our JavaScript framework instead of using another one. Um, so it's extremely basic, but the goal is it gives you enough to do whatever you need to do. And whether that's just wiring up an event listener for a click or whether that's apparently bringing, you know, Angular in and, and wiring up your Angular uh, directives. And so in that case, you would annotate your um, your HTML in your LiveView template, but then write your JavaScript function in a separate app.js file. Yeah. So what, so let's, for, like controlled inputs are a good example. So let's say you want to do, you know, birthday formatting where as the user's typing, we add the slash and we format for them. You can't do that over live view uh, to the server because, you know, your the, the latency there is going to be uh, a bad experience for the user. They will have, they would have added multiple keystrokes in the time that the server is processing that formatting up. So what we'll do is you can just say, you know, PHX hook equals format birthday and then we'll just look for a format birthday javascript object that exists in a namespace that you pass when you instantiate your live socket so the two lines of javascript that you have to write if you go there and give it a namespace when you write a phoenix hook we'll look for that and then we just have a few callbacks like uh, mounted updated uh and connected and reconnected so when that dom element is mounted you can do whatever you want so for the input case you would just say uh, you know, add event listener. And anytime you see uh, the input, uh, the input event on that input element, you will do the formatting. And then the way Phoenix works is we detect our events uh, top level when they bubble up to window. So you could change the value out from under us. And what we'll see that we'll send up to the server is the, the change formatted value. So it's like probably less than 30 lines of JavaScript on the Phoenix Live View source for us to implement these hooks and so it's like no I, I wouldn't say it's definitely not anything framework related it's just an escape patch and you implement these callbacks to to handle the dom changing out from underneath you cool that's interesting have you heard of uh many other people doing more like kind of javascript based integrations as well like something that desmond and i talked about on the last show was would could there be a bit more of a middle ground that played a bit more uh, nicely in some ways with the existing tooling rather than saying that everything had to be in Elixir or everything has to be in JavaScript. Yeah, so we have to be, our, right now, our approach has to be pretty walled garden-y and uh, I'd like to open it up. So the biggest issue is we, we patch the DOM. So when we generate the diffs on the wire that are as small as possible and we also update the DOM in the most efficient way possible. So when we patch the DOM, um, we have to, we have to have full control over the changes to the DOM. So that's the biggest limitation now to say, oh, just do whatever you want on the client. So, so you can do whatever you want, um, but you have to mark like a container as ignored. So, uh, so there isn't, so it is all or nothing right now. So if you wanted to add a react component on the client, you can do that. But then any op, any update that the server tries to do to that container, once we render it, we won't, we won't touch it because um, the way that we patch the DOM has to be deterministic. So if your React component that you were running was updating, you know, it manages its own piece of the DOM. When we go to patch the DOM, we don't know what it's changed and what we, you know, if, so we, if we update one portion of that, now we have like two worlds where we don't know, like we know what the DOM currently looks like and we know what we're trying to make it look like and how do we rectify those two worlds. 
So I'd like to figure out a way to, uh, we've talked about like a patch callback on Phoenix hook where we could allow you to basically control this where we can make it your responsibility to say like, Hey, we're trying to patch the Dom with this, whatever you, it currently looks like for you, you figure it out, but, um, that's to be done. So, uh, I'd Mm -hmm. like to explore that further, but it's, it's much harder than I think than it seems. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I I can see why it's difficult, especially when you're, you know, given the programming model where uh, Live View is actually controlling what is output back to the DOM, and then you're saying basically there could be any arbitrary updates in that time period with some other framework or whatever. It, it makes sense why it's difficult. Yeah, exactly. And to be clear for for listeners too, like you can still like for charts, like for if people want to use charts or a a React component that's rendering a chart, like you can do all of that. You just say this com- this container is ignored, uh, and then you let the con- you let that component uh, that JavaScript manage that entire DOM element lifecycle. Right. Uh, so you just can't ever patch that after you render it from the server. So I'm saying like you could still do perfect interop, but it's kind of like what Chris said. It's like either all Elixir now or all JavaScript. There's not a merging of the two worlds once once we render it the first time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I, I do want to call out one thing, which is I saw an incredible demo at ElixirConf of um, the Broadway visualization demo that I think it was supposed to be in JJ's keynote, but um, there were some technical difficulties, right? But uh, that was so, so cool. It visualized the Broadway pipeline and you could live update the consumers, you could live update um, every part of it, and then it would change the visualization. I believe that was all live view, Chris. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, Marlis at uh, Platformer Tech uh, wrote that, and uh, yeah, it's, it was it's it was insane. And he's doing like SV, he's rendering SVG on the server as well. So like he's oh, wow. rendering these um, these seemingly you know graphical elements that you're like, oh, this has to be client side, and it's all done via Live View, and uh, it's a extremely compelling uh, use case for Live View for me because that's like dashboards are 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 a perfect right. thing, and especially for that kind of uh, that kind of feature set. I mean, it's perfect. And you, he was able to show off like you can still do things that uh, I think you know, other than textual updates. Like he's actually drawing circles and uh, drawing the process tree, and then showing yeah. you know uh, the children and doing all that actually with server rendered mm-hmm. uh, live view stuff is, is really compelling. Yeah, I, I honestly. It, it makes me, I don't know if you've listened to this episode, Chris, but we had Dave Thomas on here and uh, at the MPEX conference this year, he talked about where he wants to see a kind of Elixir going. And he talked about this idea about having a bit more of like a Elixir-based control plane where you can dynamically tweak all your supervisor values and di- do some like more dynamic configuration. And it felt like Live View could be a really compelling way to build that. Um, so having some window into your system where you can visualize processes, obviously we have observer now and I've seen people port that, um, and then bringing, taking that a step further with having more like number of consumers you have, and you can live tweak those across a cluster or something like visualize bottlenecks, things like that. I think that could be really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, that's where I kind of said like these more boring problems. I mean, I'm excited to see people push the limits. Um, but some of the more boring problems have been, uh, that's what like people are getting immediate value from. So whether that's the uh, Broadway visualizer um, or like nerves hub is using live view as well. Right, so yeah. like when you deploy uh, firmware out to your fleet, um, you know, they added live view to show actually they're doing uh, an IEX uh, emulator in the browser with live view. So that's, 
that's actually so that, that goes that's beyond perfect. a little bit more than what i'm talking about but i right. so that so that's awesome and but the, even just the so imagine nerve sub right or brought the broadway team they wanted to add this rich visualization or rich features and instead of spending however many months or time or looking for contributors if it's open source to figure out how to get a javascript framework in here they just drop live you in and they ship the features and they so far i'm aware haven't made any trade-offs there hasn't hasn't been any caveats where they're like oh well, we, i wish we could have done this even when it came to like the iex console they just shipped it so those kinds of things for me are i think where we're going to be an obvious uh benefit where you're like we'll never have you know we'll never need offline mode for nerve sub we'll never you know your broadway dashboard isn't going to need offline mode so i think those are the kinds of really uh empowering um use cases where live view can be used yeah i'd love to see uh a full featured observer web uh interface and i know someone started on it and i was gonna say it exists but it's not it's not full featured but there is a observer live view some of the tabs are implemented but it's on they deployed it to giga elixir to find yeah it's i think that's a great start i think that should be like uh Maybe not part of Phoenix, but I think it should be kind of right there for every web app because, like, it's kind of a pain to connect uh, an observer to a running cluster and then, like, have it show up locally. I mean, it's been done, sure. But if you're telling me I get all that power, like, for free and it's fairly easy to implement because you don't have to imp- to do a bunch of, like, RPC calls or just RPCs, I guess, uh, and expose all that over the server because you're just running the same native commands within your live EEX and servicing them. I think that, you know, every time I've shown someone the observer for the first time, it's it's been one of those, you know, one of those moments. Um, and I think it, it, it goes a long way to the like batteries included stories that keep yeah. cropping up around here, like particularly Justin's uh, nerves keynote at ElixirConf about uh, all the stuff you can do with nerves hub and oh, and then you can push this out and we've set it up so that we'll set up your AWS cluster for you. And here's live view showing you the progress and all that, you know, it makes for such a great developer experience. And I think that's one of like the really compelling parts about this ecosystem. Yeah, I agree. And that's where, uh, so we won't implement observer, but, uh, or all of observer, but the live view telemetry dashboard, uh, that I've talked about for <laughs> probably come up on a couple of years, but, now that we have mm-hmm. telemetry in place, um, yes, yeah, surfacing that information uh, using something like Vi- LiveView becomes trivial, right? It's it's just mm-hmm. that information's there. It's you can attach to it from Elixir. So for a LiveView, you you know, we would just start up a LiveView, have it attached to telemetry, and then it renders a template every time telemetry tells it that you know a new metric is in place. So I think that's extremely exciting to me. And, and stay tuned on the phoenix uh build in phoenix metric uh front so that's what we'd like to focus on so I uh, chat, the next feature i want to chat yeah. a little bit more about um what is next i mean phoenix has been out for a while it's pretty stable um live view is obviously the new hotness like what's what's the real roadmap are there big features coming down is it kind of incremental tweaks and just like gradual maturing uh what like what do you think about and where do you think uh, but this before you Chris, before you answer, I just want to say pretty stable is an understatement for Phoenix. I can't remember the last time I even saw a Phoenix bug like that I've ever experienced in the the four years plus that I've been using Phoenix now in production. So that's that's, a, awesome. that's a hell of an achievement, by the that's way. Awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's awesome to hear. Yeah. So what's next? Uh, we so we have just like Elixir, we have no plans for a two o like 
that'll happen at some point. But everything interesting that's happening in Phoenix is happening outside of core. So whether that's live view or uh, pub sub or even the, the the metrics stuff I talked about, the metrics dashboard will be like a Phoenix telemetry dashboard project and won't be inside core. So core is pretty much set, right? Like I think we know what it looks like to build a standard web app today, right? Standard as in if it's going to be CRUD or it's going to be a JSON API or you, even if you're using GraphQL over HTTP, like we know what that looks like. And we know that so far Phoenix has served that extremely well and we don't need any new features or breaking changes to accomplish that. Hmm. Uh, so the cool thing is the cool thing is going to happen outside of core. So live view obviously uh, is going to continue to mature. We still have a ton of work to do. Uh, so keep an eye on changes there. But yeah, outside of that, the, Phoenix telemetry dashboard is going to be on the uh, something on the near horizon. So I think kind of as Desmond mentioned, like um, being able to show people like, oh, you're running this app. Uh, maybe it's slow. Let's see what's going on. And you just hit an endpoint and you see all of those rich metrics that you're used to seeing in Observer, but you just get that out of the box. So I think that's going to be really important for adoption and kind of this uh, production ready story that we want to keep telling people. Uh, so that's probably the biggest user-facing feature uh, is the telemetry dashboard. And then outside of that, we have some big work that we'd like to put into like a 2.0 of Phoenix PubSub. Um, so most of that won't be, um, most of that will be n- not like user land breaking changes, but internal PubSub, uh, we have some big op- optimizations that we'd like to to get in place. Because it turns out the CRDT that I added to Phoenix Presence uh, ended up not needing to be a full uh observer move set without tombstone so there's a so yeah there's a lot there's a lot that's a big that's another topic but phoenix web sub 2.0 is something i'd like to uh really start focusing on once live view gets into a i'd say uh, more uh stable state i mean definitely we got a lot of work to do but i think uh phoenix presence has shown itself to scale well but we, we do have clients now that are hitting uh slowdowns um but uh, up to like you know hundreds of thousands of concurrent users so it's scaled well but we're seeing roadblocks mm-hmm. and we know well, we've known for some time that like the uh, crdt that we have uh, could be way faster because we don't need a full crdt anymore uh so i think that's kind of the next big uh areas of my focus uh, so outside of that uh bug fixes and improvements <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you touch on a bit more about the crdt because i remember like when we talked about that uh oh, I remember you talking about that. At, at, I think it was like ElixirConf 2016, right? When you're talking about the story of implementing presence. Maybe it was yep. 2017. But yeah, so the CRDT, uh, it's it's yeah, it's called an ORSWAT. There are multiple versions of CRDT. It's not that important, but the important thing is um, one thing we implemented an ORSWAT, which is an observer move set without tombstones, and you would. What we found out is we actually have a specialized use case where the node that adds the presence entries is the person that adds the entries to the set, they always own those entries and they're the only ones that ever remove those entries. Mm-hmm. So the insight that I missed when I implemented the ORSWA is that we never have competing removes because the only node that ever removes an entry is the node that added it. Uh, right. So that actually removes a lot. Like the, the observe remove step is like, Every time I do a merge with the CRDT, I have to go and actually walk the entire set and figure out if the other node happened to remove one of my my items. So we actually don't have to do that at all because we know that all of my items are secure. So we have a huge optimization there uh, that we can implement where we just don't have to observe the removes because we know that 
that they didn't remove anything. Uh, so it should speed things up uh, considerably. That makes sense. Is that just because of the fact that you're connecting to a socket, which is always just on one node anyway? Is that yeah, how- exactly. So right. like the, the the presence for that user, uh, the presence for that that individual presence. So the user could have presences across the cluster, but the node that added that presence for me connected to that server is always going to own that. And then when I disconnect, they drop it and replicate that. No one else is ever going to remove it out from underneath them. Uh, right. So that was the insight. So we can still we still need like logical clocks, and we still need pieces of what we have. We just don't need a full on CRDT. No, that makes sense. That, that's great to hear. There's some more room for optimization in there as well. Um, obviously, if everything was perfect, what would you have to do? So uh... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's it's honestly it's awesome to hear like the improvements in Phoenix here. I was going to say it's very. Uh, I don't, and I'm not trying to throw shade, by the way. I just want to caveat that, um, what I'm about to say. Uh, it's really interesting contrasting where Rails is going with Phoenix, where you're seeing like Rails be more and more and more and more batteries included in the actual framework itself. Like the, I don't know if you saw the Rails 6 release, um, with there's now incoming mail handling. You've obviously got active job and all of these other frameworks that are very baked into Rails itself. And it feels like, I like the simplicity of Phoenix and where we're, where it's staying and then using everything in like user land and library land to do it, all of these extensions instead of bundling it all into the core. Because I I mean, it's very hard to say that you need all of these things just to get going, right? Um, I think yeah, like it's, it's, for me, it seems like... Sorry, go on, Chris. Yeah, it's a balance. Uh, I mean, I do think... Yeah, it's definitely a balance. And I think what... I think Rails has... has shown that there is a level of success in providing a lot out of the box Mm. um and i think and like i'll I'll preface it like chris prefaced it not trying to throw shade but i do think the javascript community a lot of the frameworks there have been on the opposite end of the spectrum where um so i think on rails we see that they they had i think a lot of people would agree they had too much right and then Mm. i think you have the javascript community that says oh we're so extensible, we're micro frameworks, you can just bring, you know, we have, we have a library for everything you need, you just add the dependencies and bring, bring your own tools. And I think that also has its own um, caveats where no one has best practices. And when you try to get anything to interop, everything's changing out from underneath you. So I think that there is a balance between there. And hopefully we strike that balance. I, I do think a lot of people probably think that we include too much out of the box. So I, so I battle, this is my own battle too, with you know, whether channels should be part of Phoenix or not. So yeah, that's a big conversation, but I do think that there's, yeah, there's two ends of the spectrum. And I think we try to, we try to land on like the 80% use case for people. So we want to be batteries included, but we don't want to be uh, anything, everything under the sun, especially because we don't need to be right. We can. Yeah, totally. It's interesting because like JavaScript frameworks generally don't stick around long enough to get all the batteries included. So I think that's mm. part of it. But also, whenever I hear people saying, oh, well, Elixir doesn't have library X, Y, or Z, it's like, okay, well, how long would it take you to write that? You know, a day, maybe two. And if I'm pulling a library that I've never used before off the internet, it takes me, maybe not two days, but it takes me a fair chunk of time to figure out how to use it in the first place, uh, which does not include time spent later on finding bugs or getting tripped up by something I didn't expect because I didn't write that. So that argument never really held a lot of weight with me i mean maybe five years ago it did when there really was a dearth of common libraries but today i don't i don't know what's lacking 
Yeah, it's out of the box experience. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, don't, don't I have to be careful how, how I, I phrase this. So, as far as like whether we include the dashboard stuff in a, a mixed Phoenix new application, we know that Live use a separate library. We know that this Phoenix telemetry dashboard is a separate library. But as far as what we include when we do run mixed Phoenix new is to be determined. And I do think that uh, folks, if we do include in either of those two things in your depths uh, list, uh, people will throw their arms up. And a lot of people will be happy. A lot of people will throw their arms up. So, um, you know, I, I definitely try not to, I don't, I don't drive my decisions based on the community, the, the whims of the vocal minority. Um, but I do try to figure out, yeah, what's going to be the thing that most people need. I do think metrics and kind of this insight into running systems is something that everyone needs when they deploy an application. So that might yeah. be something out of the box. Um, but I think what Rails has shown, you know, we, we threw shade at them a little bit, but I do think, you know, they have been successful and a lot of large part of their success has been because they provided so much out of the box. So this Absolutely. isn't to say that every decision they've made is right, but I just want to be clear that I think as far as how to market a framework and how to get success in open source, they've just demonstrably, you know, killed it in, in the Ruby mm -hmm. ecosystem. So I think we can learn a lot from what they've done. I mean, that's what, I mean, if you look at Phoenix, right, we've learned a lot of what from what else has done uh, successfully and then you know myself and jose have also learned where we both got burnt with rails and we tried to basically apply the good and learn from from the bad no absolutely i i, I think like on that note i think the telemetry stuff sounds fantastic and it feels like a bit of a differentiator as well like i, I can't think of another framework that you get that necessarily just out of the box that easily um, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but yeah, so there yeah. are some, there's a, some Java ones. So, uh, okay. there's a, there's a Java drop wizard, uh, framework and, uh, we kind of are inspired by that's where kind of this telemetry, uh, building telemetry started before telemetry existed, but we had, so we wanted to do what drop wizard did where you're just out of the box. You had all of these insights, metrics, gauges in the system. And to do that, we needed a library that kind of all the library, all the other libraries in the ecosystem use. So that's kind of where telemetry fell out. Uh, but other, outside of the Java, a uh, couple of Java frameworks, I'm not aware of one that focuses on that out of the box. And I do think it's a critical kind of missing piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like the thing is with all of those integrations, you kind of made this point. It's like finding the balance between what needs to be there to get going for beginners or what you just need for like getting started. And then it just needs to be easy to get rid of if you don't need it anymore, right? Like that's that's the other principle that needs to be applied here, which is like it should be easy to delete that kind of thing. Yes, you delete one file or one line in your, your mix steps and you're done. Yeah, and I, I felt like that with channels, honestly. I know people were like, so uh, I know people with channels are like, oh, it's in there and out of the box. But it's so easy to get rid of if you don't need it. So I, yeah, it's, I don't it's know. one directory. The code isn't that large. And, and the thing is, by leaving channels in core, one, it, it, pro it provided no benefit to extract other than to accommodate the people that were complaining that the channel module existed. You know what I mean? There was actually no reason right. to extract it. And by leaving it in core, it actually allowed us to... I ship things like live view and do presence. So there is like, anyway, so I'm, I'm glad we left it and we don't yeah. just extract things just to extract them. It's like, it has to make sense. And uh, one thing we, we could extract in the future, just along these lines is one thing that does make sense is the Phoenix um, view and template layer, because people want to render like email templates and they're like, Oh, well, I have to depend on all of Phoenix. So for me, it's like, Oh yeah, that's an obvious, like, yes, we should. Here's a use case where you need to use this on its own. We'll extract it. 
but other than that, yeah, channels is to me a vital part of real time is a vital part of the web. So it's, it's staying in core. Yeah. There's also not a big cost to dragging these things around or keeping them yeah. in your system if you're not using them as opposed to, I think we've all experienced the Rails app that gets slower and slower to start up. Not a problem for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, have you been looking at any ideas from things like Darklang or anything like that? Have you seen some of those things recently? So just on the sidelines, uh, so I haven't really seen, uh, I mean, so Dark's idea, uh, other than being this like fully closed ecosystem as far as like, for me, it looks like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like what Heroku wanted to be initially, where it's like you have the editor, you have everything packaged up in the ecosystem and you get to deploy your code. And then Heroku kind of pivoted to just a deployment platform. Um, so yeah, I think it looks neat. Um, for me, I have only been kind of watching it from the sidelines, so I don't know that right. other than they their, their editor looks compelling where you kind of, you're building out, the editor's helping you build the web application, but I haven't really seen any thing outside of that that has, has inspired me for like oh we could add this to phoenix right no, no i i thought it was interesting just because they have out of the box they have a, a simplistic concept of what a back-end app needs in terms of background jobs um like workers and then like scheduled jobs and then obviously http workers and processing http requests and obviously we have all of those components in elixir that we can draw from i think there's and obviously we can also build them ourselves because we have great um, concurrency abstractions as well inside of the language i just thought uh something that could be interesting there is seeing how we can kind of standardize some of those approaches and think about very common libraries that people can always lean on and use and uh i thought it was cool that that was literally like built into the the concept of the language and therefore the web framework as well yeah i will i'll take this this point to plug uh oban you heard of oban oban it's a elixir job library that i've been um pretty excited by uh so i I think this whole idea of jobs is is a loaded uh question in the community because uh, we've inherited client applications that anything they want to do async they just put in a job because that's what they're used to doing other platforms um, so you, you have one side of the community that says you never need background persistent jobs. And then um, you just put it in an agent server and then you have use cases that like you absolutely need some kind of durable, retriable job. Uh, so you kind of have the people that have this use case get told that like they're wrong and they shouldn't be doing it, even though they have a real use yeah. case. So I think Oban, um, for me, is what I've been pointing people towards. Like it's it's I've, I've checked the project out. Uh, we're using it on uh, some client projects and they're doing things and in, in the correct way, let's say, because uh, job processing and mixture jobs are uh, retried and unique jobs are truly unique as a hard problem that you want to be, Definitely. you know, if, you, if you're processing yeah. payments or even just sending emails, right, you want to be sure that you're only going to run that once. So open for me has been, uh, looks uh, seriously well uh, constructed. So that's kind of what I've been pointing people towards. So maybe, Maybe we standardize on on Open for if you need jobs, uh, use Open. It's backed by Postgres as well, so no no extra or right. Postgres by default, but no extra uh, you know Redis dependency or whatnot. That's cool. Yeah, I I did see you getting involved a little bit into Open. I've also been checking it out because I had that need very recently as well. So um, we will put a link to that in the show notes, so everyone else can check it out as well. Uh, Chris, I want to get your feedback on the Lumen project. Obviously, you're pretty close to the folks working on that. Um, how do you see that going forward, and how do you think that plays into Phoenix and LiveView? 
Yeah, so the, the joke has been, so obviously obviously we've known internally at Dockyard about Lumen for for many months now that we've been working on it. But the joke has always been internally that, you know, the people you people still used to and continue to troll me with what about uh, offline for live view. Um, so the, the joke for months has been like, you know, at ElixirConf, we, we just announced like offline support. It landed because, you know, Lumen gives us a, now, now you can just, your live users run on the client. Uh, so to be clear, that's not, that's not in place or <laughs> we don't have any plans for that. But anyway, this is all to say like, we're, we're really excited or I'm really excited about Lumen in general. Um, I think it's remains to be seen what it looks like to write a truly, uh, client side app in Elixir. So, uh, so I, as Brian talked about in his keynote, you know, Lumen is the runtime in uh, getting Elixir in the browser and having that work. And simultaneously, now that we, we, you know, we, we see that it's viable, you know, payload wise, um, I think they're looking at, uh, so it, it's early as far as the optimizations, but we're, we're looking at like existing JavaScript framework payload sizes to get Elixir in all of the Lumen VM running in the browser. So now that we see we, we can see that this is this is a workable solution now we can say like what does it actually look like to write an elixir app in the browser and that has to make sense so i think i'm incredibly excited about lumen on the browser but we need to show now that we can get elixir in the browser this is the all the benefits that you can get like it kind of mm-hmm. similar to live view it can't just be oh you can write elixir instead of javascript line for line like that can't be our selling point it has to be like this is what it looks like, and these are the benefits that you get. Um, it kind of like you know, if you look look at what Boyd is doing with Scenic, the way he pitched Scenic for writing UIs, mm-hmm. I think all of those merits will apply to us and set us up uniquely as far as like you want isolation in a UI, you want concurrency in a UI, you don't want to have this main thread that blocks everything. So I think we have we have uh, Lumen is going to give us the uh, unique opportunity to see this kind of neat benefit of running elixir on the client but we have a lot of work and a lot of i think um, investment from the community to figure out what that looks like so we're working on the runtime and language and assuming we have that and that that's a workable solution now it's time to actually see what you know what we can put together on top of that so i think that was a very long answer but that's that's my take so so that's that's for the browser and then outside of the browser so the goal for lumen is to get Elixir in the browser, right? But then kind of this side goal that the happy accident is we can also run a new um, a new uh, runtime on the server as well. So in an effort to get Elixir running in the browser, uh, they have kind of accidentally solved the deployment problem, quote unquote, in Elixir, where uh, you can get single uh, binary ex- executables that you can deploy. Uh, so that to me is also kind of this happy accident that's almost equally compelling as running Elixir in the browser that we may be able to get elixir in places that we previously couldn't compete you know some uh you have like uh, companies like cloudflare and uh, others running javascript runtimes wasm on the edge you know quote unquote on the edge so to speak where we just wouldn't be able we w- couldn't compete before but now we can get lumen in a place where we you can actually put elixir in all these other places that go and rust in javascript are running then i think that's uh really exciting to me as well yeah, I, I just want to plus one that like uh, that was something. Uh, so we had the guys on the podcast, uh, and they talked about, and it was a reason that I didn't actually think about why Lumen should exist as well. Is like all of these other languages also have a solution to this, and therefore, like we should too, right? Like it it makes Elixir more compelling overall if we can talk about how we can now run it 
not just on the server, but also in places where you might not have considered it like as a like a WASM executable. But there's, I mean, there's trade-offs to that because they're giving up things like hot code loading. They're giving up having multiple versions of modules in memory. Um, there are some trade-offs there. And I mean, I don't know what like releases give you a bunch of tools for working with the running system, um, connecting to a cluster, configuring the release. Uh, I don't know what the single binary output will look like if it will give you some of those same tools. I mean, I assume that they will have something similar because it would be a lot less useful if they didn't. But it's it's nice to have at least another story. I mean, I get that people dig the, the drop the file on the server, hit run, and then you're off to the races. But I think there is still a place for releases for systems that never go down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I will say though that the vast, vast majority of our client projects don't use releases, and uh, the clients are happy to deploy that way. And in fact, um, most of our clients they just have an existing deployment pipeline, and you know they just want to drop it in a Docker container and, and run and run it, and you know, and just kill the container, and restart it on doing a rolling and deploy. So I think uh, I do think it's a it's a caveat, but I do think. So far, what we've seen is uh, releases have been an exception to the rule, and maybe that will change. Um, but like you know, if you're running a pusher type service where people are paying for the physical connection to the box, then obviously uh, it's amazing that we have uh, hot uh, code upgrades. But I do think, at least from what I've seen so far, that uh, the release pitch, as far as as you know, I, I evangelize the technology in the community. That specific pitch, if it resonates, it's huge. But I think it's uh, more often than not, folks like it's not a huge value add to them. So I, I think it's 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 great that we have it, and I, I think they should it should get more focus. But to be clear, I'm just saying from a usage standpoint so far, I think losing that uh, with Lumen won't be uh, a breaking point for the majority of people. Mm-hmm. I will concede the point that it's nice not to have to build the project on the target architecture, which is a surprisingly big pain with releases. Yeah, it, you know, everything comes with its, its trade-off, um, and I think I think I just think and I think deployments are easier than what uh, folks have led on. So that's why I, I made my audio, audible air quotes when I said the deployment problem. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think that we, for some reason, uh, have the community perpetuates the myth that deployment's hard, but I do think I do think there's truth into it compared to others, right? Like if if it's just build a binary and run it, that is not as easy as what we have with releases. So I do think it's not as hard as folks think. We've got uh, ready-made solutions and in, in articles, but at the same time, I do think that you are buying into complexity there where uh, other folks will say, well, I just want to, re- if I could just build it like I do in Go, I get a binary and I'm done. I do think having an alternative that gives you that is a, is a big selling point for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Okay, uh, I think we should wrap the show there. We're coming up to the hour mark now. And uh, Chris, as always, it's so, so good to have you on the show. Before we finish, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to point our listeners to? Anything today? you want to ask us? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think I, I think I got both of your takes uh, on, on live view uh, from the last episode. Actually, really good discussion. So I'm glad we were able to kind of continue uh, the deep dive today um yeah especially with you know with, with what chris was saying on the on the the other side of making sure we don't get too negative i do think it's important to highlight that so i just want to say that so thanks chris for kind of being the other side of the conversation but in a 
in a cordial, productive way. Uh, but yeah, other than um, I want I want to plug the Phoenix uh, Frenzy competition. Uh, it, it will be have it will have concluded by the time this airs. But I just think uh, if folks want to see kind of the neat projects that have come about, uh, it ends in a few days, and uh, we'll have uh, those projects up and the results on phoenixfrenzy.com. So whenever this airs, check out Phoenix Frenzy with a PH uh, Frenzy, and uh, see what see how that looks and kind of the neat uh, hopefully the neat projects that that opened up. We don't. Uh, we, the judges don't uh, vote until it's over, so I haven't seen, other than a couple tweets, uh, there have been some cool games that people have done, but I don't know yet uh, what to expect, uh, so I'm excited to see the results of that. So you're uh, one but of outside the judges. Of that, I, yeah, I am one of the judges. A couple of us on the core team are judges, and uh, we have some others uh, from the Elixir community. So Ben Wilson of uh, Absinthe and Justin Schneck from Nerves is all, are also judges. And a few others so it uh they're the judges actually were just posted on phoenix frenzy if, if folks want to check that out cool. um but yeah so i'm excited to see the results of that and then as always uh you know if we could help you out uh with your elixir applications or endeavors check out uh, dockyard we'd be happy to have a chat awesome well chris thank you so so much for being on the show today uh we will put the link to phoenix frenzy in the show notes so everyone should go check that out and would love to hear more from you listeners about live view and what you're using it for as well so but as always this has been another episode of elixir talk if you have any questions for us you can get in touch with us at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk you can also up open up a github issue on our github page which is github.com forward slash elixir talk forward slash elixir talk and then as always we'd love to hear about uh from you about this podcast so we'd love to have a rating or a review wherever you're getting it here today but thank you so much chris for being on the show hopefully we can have you back in another six months and you can tell us about all the other awesome things you've been doing on the phoenix and live view so yeah I'll I'll put it on the calendar so thanks for having me (laughs) (laughs) cool definitely we'll just have a recurring Elixir talk (laughs) um, every six months with you sounds good (laughs) (laughs) it's been great having you on the show and uh, this is the part where you have to do the wrap up with us awkwardly so uh, keep Elixir in keep Elixir in (laughs) yeah as a verb nailed it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay so okay Great job, everyone. The first thing to do, stop the recording and save it.